On this edition of Alberta Dugout Stories, the podcast, we chat with one of Baseball Canada's top women's players who hails from our province, and we go back in time and chat with a former Medicine Hat Blue Jays catcher who now coaches in the Chicago White Sox system. Welcome to Alberta Dugout Stories, the podcast. I am Joe McFarland. First off, a giant thank you to everyone who put in a bid in our online silent auction that we talked about in last week's episode. If you missed it, head on over to the website as we've launched extra innings. For another week, we'll have the auction up and prices have been reduced. So check that out if you're interested in some baseball swag or memorabilia heading into the Christmas season. On this week's episode, we'll chat with former Medicine Hat Blue Jays catcher Guillermo Quiros. But before we get to that chat, a conversation with Red Deer's Kelsey Lawler. She was one of five Albertans named to Baseball Canada's Women's Baseball World Cup roster, where she was named to the all-world team after great games both at the plate and in the field. She capped off the season by being named Baseball Alberta's top women's open player of the year. Oh, and she's not just a baseball phenom either. Lawler is in her third year at the University of Saskatchewan, where she's playing for the Huskies basketball team. That's where we caught up with the 20-year-old. Kelsey, it's been one heck of a year for you. I guess the first thing that comes to mind is, from your standpoint, what sticks out as maybe the highlight of 2018 for you? Um, I think the highlight of 2018 was probably when we beat the Americans in the bronze medal game uh, in Florida. It was just a really amazing game to be a part of, and it's always really cool when you get to play them and beat them on their uh, home soil. So, yeah, just being involved in that game was incredible. It had to have been a weird rallying moment for you guys, in a sense, because you guys lost the previous game so that you were playing in the bronze instead of the gold. How do you get up for a, a bronze medal game, or was it pretty easy with that group? Yeah, it's it's pretty easy. It's always an incredible opportunity to get to play the world championship. And when you're playing for a medal, you always want to do your country proud. And so, and especially going and playing the Americans, like that's never a, that's never a tough one. So, for you, it was one of those tournaments that was really a, I don't want to call it career defining because you're only 20 years old. But yeah, <laughs> at the same time, it's still you know everybody talks about the catch and you had a home run, you had a tournament to remember. Uh, what sticks mm-hmm. out for you, or what was the key to uh, being as good as you were for that tournament? Um, well, I didn't start off the tournament that great. I was over two in my first game, but uh, I'm talking to my coach and just. Uh, we just talked about just trying to stay within myself and uh, just using my skill set for what for what I can do on the baseball diamond and going out there and competing for my teammates every day. And when I go up to the plate, not trying to do too much, just uh, staying back and swinging and getting base hits. So, Talk about that catch. Loving hasn't put the ball in play tonight. She has struck out looking, walked, and been hit by a pitch. Puts this one in play, out to left center field. Sliding grab for Kelsey Lawler to win the inning. We're off to the seventh. Canada's got a two-run lead. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty. It was pretty cool. It's a, it uh, a nice moment in the tournament for sure. Like we were just, we were right with the Aussies, and then we just pulled ahead, and so it was a very good timing on my part. <laughs> was that one? And and when does it look better than it 
felt at the time because I know <laughs> replay can be a, a little mischievous, but you seemed to know where the ball was going as soon as it came off the bat. Yeah, yeah, I knew where it was. I knew it was short, and it's one of those ones where you're you get a good jump on it and you're thinking you can get there, and then but when you actually get there, it's a pretty good feeling. It's yeah. uh, one of those things where, you, you know, it's the Kevin Pillar look in a sense, and you didn't have to go full vertical, but it was or horizontal, but it was still uh, pretty impressive to watch, needless to say. Yeah. Um, <laughs> when you. when you look back on on that tournament, what sticks mm-hmm. out for I mean, you, you, you took part in it two years prior. What was the difference between those two other than obviously the outcome at the end? Yeah, I think um, as a player for myself, just knowing that I'd been there before and just having that experience, I just trusted what I could do more. And I I knew what I was up against this time around. And even though the level of play keeps getting bigger or getting better and there's more players now in the talent pools, just continually gets bigger. But it's just a it's a much easier feeling going in there, knowing that you've been there before and what you can do and that it's just uh, it's just you're playing another baseball game. So. What do you take away from the the fact that Alberta had quite the interesting contingent that went down there? You had a couple of rookies. Uh, you also had yeah. a couple of veterans like yourself and Nicole. What does that say about the the Alberta product? And and what do you think? Uh, what do you think the future has in store for uh, the women's game here in this province in per- in particular? Um, it's it's really exciting, especially with all these young girls coming through our program. Um, it's really cool to be able to watch them. Most of them are younger than me, so I saw them when they were little, and now seeing them grow and getting to play with them is definitely a really cool feeling. But uh, that group we have of younger girls, it's such a strong group, and there's a lot of them, so it's really awesome to see that the game is also growing and that it's becoming a lot more competitive too. So uh, the future of women's baseball in Province of Alberta is looking pretty bright right now. We've got a lot of uh, really talented young players, and there's a whole bunch more coming up through our provincial system too. So, Is it weird to be thought of as sort of a... Uh, an inspiration or a hero to some of these younger gals who, you know, for, I mean, like I said, you're, you're pretty young yourself still, you're still going through university. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, it's definitely a really cool feeling to know that, especially like when I get to play with them, even then that they're, I'm someone that they can look up to and someone that they can come to if they're struggling or anything like that, just cause they know I've been there, but uh, it's a pretty cool feeling when, when the younger girls in the province and you go work with them, we have a whole bunch of girls day in baseball over the, all over. And uh, when we go and work with them and they're just so excited to see and that, see that there's a future for themselves in the game of baseball. It's yeah, it's pretty, it's also pretty inspirational for me that they're that excited about everything. So yeah, the future of women's baseball is, is looking good for us right now. What does it mean to you to be named the uh, best open women's player in Alberta as you were a couple of weekends ago? Um, it's a huge honor. I mean, I play with some, there's some incredible players on that team. Uh, Luch, Nicole Chansky, she's, she's huge. Uh, she's been such an incredible teammate to me and just to be able to play with her and see how much time and dedication she puts in has really had a big impact on my game. And even some of the younger girls, like they're, they're making big waves, uh, big waves on the national stage. So, um, yeah, it's a huge honor and just, it's just been, it was just a great year for us overall, so to rally with that group of girls and uh, just to have an incredible group of teammates just makes playing all the more fun. What's the key for you to be able to not only play baseball at a high level like you do, but also playing basketball in, in university? What's, how do you manage to kind of keep your skill set strong in both sports and be able to manage the time and everything else that's involved with being a student as well? 
Yeah, it definitely gets tough at times. It's pre- I'm pretty lucky in the fact that the competition seasons don't overlap, so that's huge for me to be able to play both. But um, it's definitely sometimes off-season. I mean, I would like to be able to put more time into baseball when I'm here in Saskatchewan in the off-season, and I'd love to be able to put more time into basketball when I'm home in the summer. But I try to do as much as I can to to uh, get work in every day for both sports. So gives me something to do. It keeps me busy. But, yeah, it can definitely be a challenge at times. So. Has that been something that you've always done, even when you were a little kid, was played multiple sports, or is this something that you've just sort of picked up along the way? Uh, no, I've I've always been playing lots of sports. I it's something I really enjoy. My parents got me involved when I was young, and then I've just kind of stuck with it ever since. But yeah, being a multi-sport athlete has been a huge part uh, of my growth and development, not only on the athletic side of things, but also as a person. Just having that uh, diverse skill set is. Yeah, is really important. Why do you think you caught on to that aspect of it? Because I I was talking to Madison Willen about it uh, earlier on in the summer, and she's the same kind of thing where she's playing multiple sports, and she said she was lucky because she was a, an only child, so her parents were able to kind of take her to every practice uh, imaginable and, and that kind of thing. And I'm wondering from your standpoint, you know, how has, how has that all come to be and why is that so important in your mind uh well both my both my parents are high school phys ed teachers so for them it's been nice because they've seen um kids that have grown up playing multiple sports and how it's been extremely beneficial for them in the long run and so they were always super supportive like we'd be running from one thing to the next and i have two sisters too so we're all doing everything we're all doing like playing tons of sports so yeah they they definitely my parents definitely played a huge role um in where i am now like they got me to everything on time. They <laughs> were driving. They'd be, drop one of us off, drop the next one off, come back, pick us up, take us to the next thing. And so, yeah, sometimes it got a little crazy. We'd be running all over the place and wouldn't really see each other that much. But, yeah, I'm extremely thankful for everything that they've done. How did you get into baseball? Um, I've just been playing ever since I was young. My parents signed me up when I was little. And, like, most people, you just you start when you're really young and then you just kind of grow up. I was – I guess I was different than most girls because I didn't end up switching to softball, but my dad is a really, really big baseball person. So that was a big impact. And just, um, just the fact that he's been there to support me and that my mom has, she's been up behind me a hundred percent of the way and just, um, that they've, they've supported me to achieving these goals that I've, um, that I've met here in the past couple of years have been, yeah, huge for me as an athlete. I think I have an idea as to how you're going to answer this, but I'm going to ask it anyways. Is right. Who do you look to for inspiration, whether it be on ba- in baseball, whether it be in life? Who's your who's your big motivator? Ooh, um, he's on the baseball diamond. Um, Luch is a big person for me on the baseball diamond. I've had the opportunity to play with her for the past few years, and just just to see how much time and dedication she puts in is really really incredible and it uh it makes you take a look at yourself and see what you're doing to be able to compete and play with her so she cheats for me on the baseball diamond and then uh my parents obviously well have been um been huge in all of that they're um they're always there for me always supporting they try to make it to absolutely everything that they can but uh yeah they've just done so much over the years to ensure um that i could do everything i wanted to do athletically so 
Speaking of the inspiration side of things, looking ahead to 2019 now already, can't believe that we're getting into the last uh, little bit of 2018 here, but <laughs> what's on your bucket list? What do you want to get accomplished over the next 12 months? Um, well, first and foremost, we're trying to win the basketball national championship here at Saskatchewan, so uh, that's gonna that's a big focus right now, and then um, after that, once I head home, it'll be just trying to fine tune a few things. And there's some, uh, things I learned from this past tournament that I need to work on in a couple, um, areas of weakness that I definitely want to improve. So yeah, just going home in the summer and really having the time to work on those. Cause this year is an off year for us. So it's not a world championship year. So mm-hmm. yeah, to just try and improve my game, um, as much as I can. So when I go back to that tournament, there's just do everything a little bit better. Kelsey, again, congratulations on uh, winning the award through Baseball Alberta. Congratulations on a phenomenal 2018 and really looking forward to seeing uh, what you can accomplish uh, in 2019 as well. Thanks for coming on the uh, podcast today. Yeah, no problem. Thank you for having me. He was listed as one of the Toronto Blue Jays' top prospects, signing a million-dollar bonus at the age of 17. Guillermo Quiros went on to rack up more than a few frequent flyer miles in a pro career that lasted nearly two decades. He spent parts of 10 seasons in Major League Baseball for a handful of organizations, but he got his start right here in Alberta with the Medicine Hat Blue Jays. He hit 221 with nine home runs and 28 RBIs in 63 games during the 1999 campaign. This past season, the Venezuelan was a coach for the Winston-Salem Dash under manager and former Calgary Cannon star Omar Vizquel. We had the chance to wax nostalgic recently with Kiros, who turned 37 this past week. Guillermo, thanks so much for doing this. When you first came to Medicine Hat, I'm wondering, was that the first time you had ever been to Canada? Yeah, my first time in uh, in Canada, for sure. Uh, I mean, I, I I didn't know what to expect. Uh, I was already feeling the uh, the effects of being away from my family for a little bit because uh, I stayed in an in extended uh, sprint for that uh, after spring training. And I was staying with one of my buddies at a hotel room, uh, Gustavo Chassin. He played with me as well in uh, in Medicine Hat. So, uh, you know, we, we kind of found uh, comfort, you know, just me and him staying together and talking and talking a lot. He's from the same city that, I, that, I from, that I'm from in Venezuela. And we also got to spend uh, some time playing together in some uh, Little League tournaments in Venezuela as well. So, yeah, you know, I had a friend by my side. Uh, one of the upsides was that uh, when I signed my contract, uh, we were able to get a ticket for my family so they could come visit me uh, when I was there. And that was a plus that just kept my my hopes up. Give me some of your favorite memories, maybe. of I know it's a short year and it kind of flies by as your first season in pro ball, but anything kind of stick out for you? Yeah. Um, we. I loved the way we went out. Uh, to the field every day, we, you know, everybody was just printing, hungry for baseball. Our manager's name was Paul Elliott. He was from uh, Australia, and to be honest with you, man, I, I didn't even stir half. I didn't, I didn't even understand half of what he said to me <laughs> at the time, because you know he had that heavy Australian accent, and I was just learning my English, even though I took classes before I got to the states to start playing. Uh, 
it was hard for me to do. But uh, we used to love after batting practice. We just sat uh, outside the clubhouse, and they used to sell hot dogs and burgers there. And and I don't I don't know for some reason those burgers tasted really really good at the field. <laughs> <laughs> it's that Alberta beef, let me tell you. <laughs> yeah, man. It, talk a little bit about sort of the experience of of going through that because obviously you're you're it's your first season in pro ball. And it, it kind of becomes that melting pot. You mentioned, you know, your managers from Australia. It's it's a little bit of everything, and it had to have taught you a lot about baseball, uh, sort of on a world stage as you went up the pro ranks. Well, we we were we were, we were kids, and you know, as kids, you go out there and you have fun. That's the most important thing. By having fun, you uh, you learn through the ups and downs. And obviously, at the same time, you're getting experience. The only way you can learn play baseball is, you know, getting that experience experience through the years. And that's what we did. Even though we didn't understand much of uh, what Paul said, we had a a, a Puerto Rican coach uh, helping out with our team for the purpose of translating for us as well. But uh, his name was George. George, he was always, you know, joking around and stuff, and I don't think he understood half. He understood half either. So, you know, <laughs> we were just trying to have fun with it, and and we were just learning, you know, by experience. Obviously, George will help us out whenever something happened during the game. It's interesting, in a sense, talking to different guys about that era, and and having been, I worked in Medicine Hat for a couple of years in radio here, and one of the things that everybody talks about is the the community and how everybody was sort of brought in and and I was talking to Rolando Pino and he said one of the things that he took away from it was just how welcoming people were whether they be billets or that kind of thing what do you remember about your billets and and who did you live with when you were down there you know what we had host parents uh they worked a lot I don't think they were in the house a lot so we barely got into a relationship with him. Right. But, uh, like, I know Rolando Pino. He was my manager as well with Toronto. And, uh, yeah, that's that's very, very true. The people there was always, it, it seems like they were always smiling. It seems like they always have something to give us, you know, little presents, little chocolate, a uh, cup of coffee, whatever they could take to the field just to uh, make us feel welcome in Alberta, that's for sure. Talk a little bit about the bus rides. I'm sure there's probably a few interesting memories because those were uh, pretty long treks, I'd imagine. Oh my God, man! <laughs> we got we had a couple of those that were rough. I remember we had to take a trip to uh, Austin. I think uh, oof, it might have been Milwaukee at the time that was there. Right. Uh, and our uh, air conditioning broke down in our bus. Oh no! So you can imagine. Almost pretty much everybody was just riding the bus in their on their underwear because it was so hot on that <laughs> bus. We had to spend the whole. We had an off day and we had to spend the whole off day just traveling so we could make it there, man. But it, I mean, it was fun, you know, experiencing that, and then obviously moving, moving up to a level where you that bus, you know, don't really break down. But um, it, it was just a fun experience to be a part of, you know. I, I remember, the, you know, those guys saying, oh, you know, we're almost there, almost there, almost there. And then five hours later, you're still riding the bus. <laughs> yeah. It, it's got to be interesting. And you mentioned the fact that it was a learning experience. But as someone who's gotten into the coaching side of things, it, it's got to be something that you kind of lean on at the end of the day for a lot of the, the youngsters that you're dealing with on a, on a day-to-day basis as well as, you know, never take any of it for granted in a sense. Yeah, of course. I mean, 
everything that you learn, you try to take in, you try to take in for you. Obviously, nowadays, I'm in the coaching side of it. I'm, I'm helping out those kids, talking to them a lot, try to not, not become friends to them, but, but more as a teacher, uh, you know, you just try to uh, you just try to take them through your experiences and what you've been through, and and they usually are pretty good about it, and they end up understanding you know the way things are supposed to be. What's changed in baseball since you've uh, since you started back in 1999 in Medicine Hat? Anything that really stick out to you that that make you go, man, times have changed. A lot, uh, a lot of strokeouts, a lot of homers. Uh, the way that uh, the veteran people is, 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 is treated now, uh, a lot more young people in the big leagues. Uh, it was rare uh, for teams to see young people in the big leagues when, when, whenever my first time up there. And, uh, you know, there, there used to be a lot more, you know, guys in, on their uh, 30s, mid-30s, you know, and, and kind, of, kind of, you know, guiding those, those youngsters, you know, through the process. Mm-hmm. Is that maybe one of the reasons why you know you're still a young guy at the end of the day, and and you're already in the coaching game, and you start to see a lot of a lot of the younger guys are starting to take up more of the coaching side. Is that sort of one of the things that, like you said, when you're when you were younger, there were a lot of vets who were doing that kind of thing, and now they're they're in the coaching side. Yeah, I mean, I agree with you 100. Uh, percent All all the teams, you know, if you look at it, I mean, they're they're built by rosters that are, you know, the the oldest guy might be. I don't know, 33, maybe 34, unless you, you run into like, a, you know, David Ortiz, you know, he played until, you know, his 40s, or or even uh, Eric Kraft, you know, he's 38, you know, he was still catching this year. Uh, but other than that, man, you know, it's 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 uh, it's rare. It's rare to find, you know, older people in the game. And, uh, I mean, it is what it is. I mean, it, you know, you, you get to a point where, you know, I, I was already 35 years old last year in 2017 when I was with Cleveland, and, and they were honest to me. They said, hey, you had a hell of a camp. You know, you play good. But, uh, you know, we need the spots for the younger people that's coming up through the, throughout the, the organization. And I understood my role. You know, I said, well, thank you very much. And, you know, hopefully I'll see you again in the future. And, you know, nowadays I work for the Chicago White Sox, and I'm still young, and I can start out another career, you know, from scratch, as they say. It's interesting looking through the roster from that Med Hat team. Another kid that managed to have not a bad MLB career at the end of the day was Alex Rios. What was it like playing with some of these these young studs? You mentioned Chassin. You, you had Rios on the team. Matt Ford ended up getting some time in the in the show. So you guys had a pretty good team there. Yeah, Rios was my uh, mother from another mother. <laughs> yeah, my brother from another mother. Uh, we lived together uh, throughout the six year we were we were in uh, we were in the minor leagues. Uh, he made it to the big leagues a couple months before I did. He got called up in uh, May, I believe, to the big leagues for the first time. We were both in Syracuse at the same time, and I got called up at the end of the year in September. Um, yeah, you know, we 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 lived together uh, pretty much every single year, but that one in Medicine Hat, huh? uh, and then. Uh, one of the, the, the funny things I ever remember, you know, I remember and, and I'll never forget was first day I got called up to the big leagues. I was walking into the clubhouse with uh, my two bags, and I heard my name, Lauren Creel. Creel, come over here. I was like, what? Who's calling me? So Carlos Delgado was calling my name, and and I just dropped my bags and just walked straight to my to his locker. And I said, what's going on, Carlos? And you know, he started telling me about the big leagues, you know, how things were. And all of a sudden, he said, hey, 
I don't want you to be hanging around with with reals. He could be trouble. I was like, why, man? You know, he's my friend. We stayed together all this time. But obviously he knew that we were pretty good friends and we were going to stay together. And that's why, you know, he wanted to make a joke out of it. I mean, when when a, when a person like Carlos Aldari is telling you, hey, don't do this, I mean, you better listen. So <laughs> I thought it was pretty fun. I thought, I thought it was pretty cool, you know. When you look back on on all your years in baseball and in particular and in, in Medicine Hat, what sticks out most for you? Um, I think the, the journey, you know, the journey of you know me making it to the big leagues. Uh, in general, just uh, staying, you know, staying, trying to stay healthy because I had a lot of injuries in my mm-hmm. career, and staying the game for for as long as I did. Um, I played for 17 years, and, and you know, I, I could have played for another year or two. But I think, you know, just that journey of, of, of you know, going from here to, to there and organization, and, and organization to another, uh, jumping from level to level, you know, to the big leagues, AAA, AAA, AA at times. You know, I, you know all that, I think, you know, it, it just taught me a lot during life. You know, it taught me that you really can't stop uh, – doing what you want to do unless you have to. And and that's, you know, that's pretty much what I did when I, when I, when I took my decision and I said, you know what, I need to start another career. I got to take advantage of my age and, and, you know, I, I'm young enough to do it. So, you know, all, all this process that, I, that, that I'm going through right now, I think it's just on the end that's going to help to my goal, which is, you know, I want to be able to manage one day. And obviously everybody, you know, all the managers have a dream to manage in the big leagues. If I'm able to do that, then, you know, I consider myself lucky, as they say. Guillermo, uh, thank you so much for reminiscing with us here and, and talking a little uh, nostalgia as uh, we talk about baseball here in Alberta. Much appreciated, my friend. All right, no problem. Anytime. That'll do it for another episode of Alberta Dugout Stories, the podcast. We want to thank Kelsey Lawler and Guillermo Quiros for being on the program. We also want to thank you for listening. Make sure to subscribe on iTunes or Google Play if you haven't already. We have a new episode lined up every Tuesday. Until next time, thanks again for tuning in.